the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today is the Juneteenth federal holiday, a new observance of a tragic story in American history, one that saw slaves in bondage for years after they were set free by Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. We're going to spend the hour talking about Juneteenth, what it means, what we're celebrating, and how we move closer to the equality that America promises. It's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. Freedom does not come easily, and it can't be taken for granted. Now, when I say that, it may sound like a cliche, a recitation of the obvious, but it's really something that defines the American existence and defines what it means to even be American for lots of people in this country. Go back, for instance, to a century and a half ago when a group of African Americans in Galveston, Texas, were still enslaved two years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation during the Civil War. It wasn't until federal troops arrived there on June 19, 1865, that Texas was forced to acknowledge emancipation and the freedom that it brought to African Americans. This story, the story of what we call Juneteenth, in some ways encapsulates American history and America's understanding of history. A lot of times we're reluctant to share that full story of what happens here in America. And so often we've intentionally forgotten history, covered up facts, hidden narratives about the things that have brought us to this moment. But the power to tell truths about American history, the good, the bad, the ugly, might be changing. There seem to be more people interested in learning the full story of how we got here and how we have come to interact with the symbols and people and physical structures that surround us now. Telling honest stories about American history is one of the reasons that the federal government recently decided to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. People all over the country are off work today during the first federal celebration of Juneteenth. And while this is about celebrating and maybe resting on a day off, it also raises its own critical questions. Is this what progress looks like? And are we on a path to creating a more equal and just America? An America where the black-white wealth gap is not so stark, where African Americans are not living in neighborhoods where there is an opportunity, is an opportunity to move on, isn't integration, isn't all of the things that we have been promised over and over and over again? Or is all of this just symbolism? Is Juneteenth's federal holiday status some kind of empty rhetoric supported by corporate exploitation of African Americans and another opportunity to sell things off of black people? Those are pretty stark polls, of course, 
and the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. But I think it's really worth thinking today about what we're recognizing, what we're celebrating, and what it actually means. What it means in the context of the things that we're talking about, debating about, arguing and fighting about in this country today. That's where we begin the conversation today. And to help us think through all of this, the meaning of Juneteenth, what its federal status says about our culture, and where we're headed with all of this, is Hassan Kwame Jeffries. He is an Ohio State University history professor who specializes in civil rights and the black power movement. Professor Jeffries, welcome back to Detroit Today. It's great to be with you. Yeah, great to have you here. So let's go back a little bit and fill in some context. I still run across people who ask me, what is Juneteenth? Uh, there are a lot of folks who just aren't, aren't filled in on what we're talking about here. So let's go back and quickly tell the story of what happened on June 19th, 1865 in Galveston, Texas. Well, I think to begin to explain what Juneteenth is, I think we have to go back just a just a couple of months before uh, that fateful day in June of 1865. Uh, in April of 1865, uh, almost a world away on the other side of the United States, if you will, uh, in Virginia, uh, Robert E. Lee uh, and the forces of the Confederacy surrendered uh, to Union troops effectively ending the uh, insurrection um, that was designed to uh, create a new nation from states that continue to maintain the institution of slavery. Uh, Texas was the westernmost uh, frontier, if you will, uh, of the Confederacy. Uh, and it would, and it wasn't the primary theater of conflict. And so once you have the surrender uh, effectively ending the Confederacy, and by then the Civil War had become a war to end slavery. If the Confederacy was defeated, slavery would be abolished. And it, it would take a little while uh, for not just word to travel. I mean, obviously there's no Internet, there's no mass communication, no instant communication. But it didn't take two months for black folk to hear that the Confederacy had surrendered. But it did take about two months uh, for Union troops uh, an, an effective fighting force of Union troops to make it to Texas, to make it to Galveston, Texas. So on June 19, 1865, we see landing in Galveston, Texas, uh, not just a Union general, Gordon Granger, uh, with an edict uh, declaring, making known that the war had come to an end, that enslaved people were now free, but he does so with a fighting force of 2,000. Uh, to uh, demonstrate that this will be enforced because you had enslavers uh, who, even when they received the word of the Emancipation Proclamation, they weren't just suddenly like, oh, okay, we didn't know y'all wanted to be free, go on out, right? <laughs> I mean, it, needed to, it needed to be enforced. They were, they were going to hold, they fought a bloody war uh, to hang on to the institution of slavery, and they weren't simply going to uh, let it disappear uh, without a fight. Uh, and this, the Union troops understood. So it took a while, not just to get word there, but to get forces there to enforce the new status quo. Hmm. Let's talk a little about slavery in places like Texas um, and how it was somewhat different from slavery in other parts of the Confederacy. Uh, the, the Western nature of, of Texas made it, of course, more remote than, than other places in the Union, but, but it was also, of course, the, the, the very deep South uh, and the, 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 the idea of, um, uh, I guess, the difference uh, about slavery and its brutality in the deepest parts of the South, I think is something that also is kind of lost uh, on, on a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, because too often we think about slavery as one thing, uh, frozen uh, in time at a particular moment. Slavery, the institution of slavery in America evolves over time. And one of the 
key factors that determined the nature of the institution uh, was not only place, but place connected to the kinds of agricultural work, kinds of industrial work Mm -hmm. that enslaved labor was being asked or forced to do. And so in Texas, as part of, you know, part of Texas is the end of uh, what we call the black belt, that rich black soil, the most productive soil really in the United States that extends in a band and a continuous band from the uh, tidewater of Virginia all the way to Texas. And so in Texas, we, we're seeing, uh, you know, uh, uh, cotton plantations, um, not unlike we would see in the heart of Alabama and the heart of Mississippi. And those large-scale cotton plantations, uh, those enslavers that were holding people there, they didn't want to give that up. I mean, just like in, in the rest of the Confederacy, this was wealth. Not only the wealth translated uh, based upon what was being produced, but the wealth in owning people, right? I mean, that was the great asset. Uh, and so it was brutally harsh, uh, the, the kinds of slavery that existed in Texas. And I think it's also important to point out that a number of the uh, large numbers of the enslaved people in Texas were not born there. They were sold they were into sent slavery yes. into Texas, absolutely, as, as the West, America's western frontier pushes into that Louisiana Purchase territory over the last 40 or 50 years before the Civil War. Million, one million African Americans are sold from the Upper South, Virginia, Maryland, and the like, down into Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, and Louisiana. Uh, and so their roots there, many were recent, recently separated. Uh, from the, the 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 East Coast, which also spoke to that harshness of the institution, family separation. Mm-hmm. Everyone, those folk in Texas, they experienced that. I also want to make really clear the the circumstances that led to this holiday. I, I, I've had conversations with some people recently and discovered that they kind of felt like, well, the word just didn't get to Texas in time uh, mm-hmm. for people to be free, right? You get the Emancipation Proclamation, and they just didn't really know that that was the law of the land, and that's why slavery survived. It's actually uh, a more pernicious story than that. I mean, th- th- this was active resistance to the idea of the institution of slavery having to come to an end, and it doesn't. it doesn't it doesn't just wipe itself away even after the Juneteenth uh, event. Texas fights real hard to, to, to say we, we want to maintain slavery. I mean, Texas and the entire Confederacy, I mean, all of the states in the South do the same thing. Uh, when Lincoln issues the – well, first, you know, this is an Emancipation Proclamation issue. Hopefully we'll have a little time to get into that. Mm-hmm. But when the Emancipation Proclamation goes into effect, on January 1, 1863, it says that all enslaved people in states that are in rebellion are henceforth free. The, 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 the Confederacy, Confederates, white Southerners, they looked at the Emancipation Proclamation and laughed. They said, one, Lincoln, you don't have the physical forces in place to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. But, you know, we're fighting a war to keep enslaved folk. Uh, and, and so they, said they, they completely ignored it. It's not that they didn't know about it. They weren't waiting around like, oh, <laughs> we thought we could still do this. And enslaved people knew, too. Mm-hmm. Whatever white folk knew, enslaved people knew. And sometimes before, even the white folk. But they understood, too. Like, all right, well, what are we supposed to do here? Who's going to enforce this? So we're buying slave folk down in Texas and Alabama and throughout the Confederacy, abiding their time, waiting for an opportunity to steal away the Union lines if they could. But they're, they are effectively still being held in bondage despite the Emancipation Proclamation, because these white Southerners were like, no, we're not going to recognize that. And in fact, even the, to, to show the, uh, you know, how, how, how disrespectful, if you will, uh, the, the, the refusal of white Southerners, the Confederacy, to recognize the authority of Abraham Lincoln and Union Army, they actually issued their own, emanci- their own proclamation uh, declaring that all free black people in states of the North are now hereby enslaved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they said, look, we have as much authority or power to enforce that as your Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm talking with uh, Hassan Kwame Jeffries. He's an Ohio State University history professor who specializes in civil rights and the black power movement. Uh, We're talking about Juneteenth, the federal holiday that is being observed today for the very first time. Uh, It uh, recognizes an event in Galveston, Texas on June 19th, 1865, when federal troops uh, arrived and uh, let the folks in Texas know that uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been signed a few years earlier by uh, President Abraham Lincoln, had full effect uh, in Texas. Uh, The war was over and uh, slavery was supposed uh, to be uh, part of history. Uh, We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you make of Juneteenth and this new federal holiday? Uh, Does it signal a status change in our culture? Uh, Does it signal uh, a recognition, a fuller recognition of the cost of freedom and the constant vigilance that's necessary to make sure that people who are free can live free? Uh, Or uh, are you worried that uh, this is kind of empty rhetoric and an opportunity for corporations to make money off of uh, African-Americans and and our issues? Uh, What what do you think of this idea of celebrating something like this uh, with the federal holiday? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-577. 1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can try to include you in the conversation that way. Especially want to hear what people are doing today. Uh, are you actually finding a way to celebrate Juneteenth, or did you do something over the weekend? That, uh, that recognized uh, Juneteenth call and tell us what that was and whether this was the first year you did it uh, and I guess how it made you feel. Uh, how, did, how did it uh, feel to celebrate uh, this, this event? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones and you can go to social media and put comments there and we can, uh, we can include you that way. Uh, before we get to callers, uh, I, I, I want to talk about uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. You, you said earlier that, uh, that there are some important details about that that fit into this, uh, that fit into this story, and, um, and, and then talk about the federal holiday, this idea of commemorating this. And I'm curious what, what your reaction is uh, uh, to that. Yeah, well, the you know Emancipation Proclamation is it. We've been living with uh, a myth, and I think that's that's kindly framed. <laughs> right. Um, that the Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln, the Great Emancipator, uh, is what liberated African Americans. And you know, we know, and it was clear at the time, and it's clear ever since that you know Abraham Lincoln issues in a, a preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. On September 22nd, 1862, mm-hmm. uh, to go in effect in 100 days, which would have been January 1, 1863, and it was a last-ditch effort. I mean, the Emancipation Proclamation does a couple of things. It's a last-ditch effort to appeal to the South to put down their arms. And he says, "Listen, if 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 you lay down your arms right now, you can keep your enslaved people. If you lay down your arms before January 1, you can keep your enslaved people. But if not, on January 1, they're enslaved. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a sort of a, it was an olive branch to end the war." Uh, and he was, you know, he really didn't think that they would take it, but he said, "I, I have to make the, I have to, I, ha- I have to do this one effort, one last try." And you know, the the, the Confederacy was like, "No, no, no, we don't, try, we don't trust you. Uh, a threat to slavery anywhere is a threat to slavery everywhere, so we reject that." Uh, and so then on January one, it takes effect, but it only applies to those enslaved people who were in states that were under Confederate control, that were in states of rebellion. And so, in fact, in, in those are the states where Lincoln does not have the Union Army, the physical force, the fighting force, to actually enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. So nobody is freed by the document. And in fact, on January 1, and in fact, more people are enslaved, about 10,000 or so, because in those, and kept in slavery, many more thousands, uh, because in those places where the Union did have control, it said that the status quo of slavery remains. And so it, it's unfortunate 
uh, that at that moment in time, you know, you don't see anyone being freed, but it was still an important step mm-hmm. uh, because at that point, there, it becomes a war to end slavery. What Frederick Douglass and so many others have been clamoring for and demanding since day one, since the shots at Fort Sumter. Uh, so there's no going back. That that isolates the Confederacy because Britain and France and the European powers that had already banned the institution of slavery, abolished the institution of slavery, they were not going to come in and now recognize the Confederacy. So that keeps them isolated from getting much-needed military and economic resources. But then the other key component is that the Emancipation Proclamation allows finally for the recruitment and enlistment of African Americans men into Into the the armed forces, into the Union Army. And 185,000 would eventually serve. That was a critical shot in the arm of of, of vital manpower at a time when white Northern men were like, look, we're done with this, right? Uh, (laughs) We're cool to say the Union, we ain't fighting for these black folk. Uh, And and, and recruits, draft riots and the like were up. So at the moment, you know, it signals there's no going back. This is a war about slavery. And a war to end slavery, and most importantly, we're now able to recruit African Americans uh, into the Union Army, and that is really what the Emancipation Proclamation did historically. And then, last, if we just have thirty seconds, sure, it, it, it still was an important symbol, right? So, although it doesn't free anybody, you know, on January one, on New Year's Eve, eighteen sixty-two, eighteen sixty-three, January one, African Americans across the free states, you know, are are, are waiting with bated breath. Uh, to see if the Emancipation Proclamation goes into effect. Uh, they're gathered at churches. This begins the watch night service tradition within the African-American community, hoping that Lincoln doesn't withdraw that Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, and when word reaches them that, no, it's gone into effect, they celebrate because they know, while no one is free at the moment, that a new day has begun, that the, the, the steps necessary to bring slavery to an end, that legal recognition are now have been taken, uh, and so that becomes one of those emancipation moments that Black folk would celebrate for decades to come. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about uh, Juneteenth, this new federal holiday, uh, the history behind it, and uh, how we should all be thinking about it as we celebrate this new federal holiday. We will get uh, Professor Jeffrey's take on this holiday and uh, what it means and whether it is truly uh, turning a page toward more equality, uh, getting getting to the kind of root of the questions about inequality in America, or whether it's just kind of empty symbolism, which there is, of course, so much of in our culture. We'll also get to your calls and your social media comments. Ed in Detroit, Alex in Gross Point Woods, Yolanda in Detroit. You will be up first. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, of course, you can also go to social media and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today. On 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest this hour is Hassan Kwame Jeffries. He's an Ohio State University history professor who specializes in civil rights and the black power movement. We're talking about the Juneteenth holiday, the federal holiday being celebrated for the very first time today. We're talking about Juneteenth, what it is, how it connects to the other markers and events of the Civil War, and how that casts forward into the conversations that we're having today, the renewed conversations in some cases about inequality and its many different shapes and forms and how we eliminate that inequality. As always, we want to hear from you on the phones and on social media. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, I want to go quickly to Yolanda on the phones. Yolanda in Detroit, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Stephen. It's hey. good to um, speak with you again. Last time I spoke with you, I was attending an event at Fort Pillow in Tennessee. Oh, right, right. I remember that. <laughs> so um, I, I do have four ancestors who fought for the Union Army. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, they were um, victory fighters. And I have relatives who were enslaved in Tennessee, and I need to point out to everyone, and everyone needs to understand that the Emancipation Proclamation had very limits, and it was the 13th Amendment that actually abolished slavery. My ancestors in Tennessee were still enslaved on June 19, 1865. It was only until December 6, 1865 that slavery was totally abolished. So Juneteenth, is, it, in my opinion, is just confusing a lot of people um, because they don't know the full story that freedom was a process, and mm-hmm. that should be a phrase. Um, Texas was just one of those stepping stones. Um, if you are still enslaved in, in Tennessee and West Virginia and certain parts of Louisiana, you were still enslaved until the 13th Amendment was ratified. So... I think Juneteenth is beginning to have the conversation about what was freedom, who it did affect, and people really should start reading um, and understanding what the proclamation, Emancipation Proclamation was. It was just a presidential proclamation, yeah. um, and it took Congress to affect an amendment to our Constitution to exclude it. So there is a lot of confusion, and children are getting confused because they're taking <laughs> tests and they want to know that question pops up, when did slavery end? And they're going to put June 19th. And the teachers <laughs> I have are going to say, no, That's you're going right. to be marked down for that. <laughs> so people don't know their history. Yeah. It's time for us to really start learning our history yeah. and um, bringing up those crusaders who really um, fought for our right. And, you know, I'm an amateur historian, and I'm constantly getting beaten down when I say Juneteenth was just martial law. That was established in Texas, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And after the Union troops left Galveston, they went to Austin and they went to Houston and Oklahoma Territory just to put a, a pinpoint in the Emancipation Proclamation while the, the 13th Amendment was ratified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if people celebrate June 19th, I wish they would really focus in what uh, totally abolished slavery in the United States, yeah. and that was the 13th, the 13th Amendment, Amendment. You know, December 6th. Yolanda, I think that's a really interesting idea that that maybe we're, we're, we're focused on the wrong event when we think about uh, the end of slavery as an institution and, and the actual freedom that uh, that African Americans finally experienced. Yolanda, I, as always, I really appreciate your, your, your call and your perspective. But Professor Jeffries, let's talk about uh, first your reaction to the Juneteenth holiday, but then to Yolanda's question. Should we be celebrating December 6th uh, as the as the the day that the, the 13th amendment was ratified and that really was the end of uh, of slavery. Well, we did. Uh and I, I put we in quotes and it, because I use the we to refer to the broader African American community. Um, you know, there were different depending upon where you were in this country, there were and have been um, celebrations of different, what I call, emancipation moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in Massachusetts, for quite a number of years, uh, December 6, 1865, uh, when the the, 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 the the requisite number of states had ratified the 13th Amendment, that was the emancipation moment that was celebrated. Uh, and there would be gatherings and get-togethers, uh, much in the tradition of uh, what we see with Juneteenth. Uh, but that was, you know, it wasn't Texas, right? I mean, so it was Massachusetts, the North. In other places, um, you had the January 1 Emancipation Proclamation, the watch night services, mm-hmm. when people would come together. That was the emancipation moment that they celebrated in Philadelphia, because that's when they remembered coming together and recognizing, okay, this is different. And then for others, uh, later on, we see in February, the emancipation moment being celebrated connected to uh, Abraham Lincoln's birthday in mm-hmm. Jacksonville, Florida, for example. And so, you know, is, is the, the Juneteenth is regional. I mean, Yolanda's absolutely right. I mean, this marks Texas. 
when these particular folk in Texas received word, there would still be people, enslaved folk in Texas, for many, for many weeks, if not months, after uh, Juneteenth. And so is, is it the literal end of emancip- uh, slavery? No, it is not. Uh, is the, the, the technical legal end of emancipation, the 13th Amendment, when it's ratified? Yes. But I think it's important to recognize collectively what this symbolizes. Mm. And it symbolizes the end of the institution of slavery, the emancipation moment. And why do we connect it, or why has Juneteenth, among the others, become what we have zeroed in on? I think it's because Juneteenth had a longer-lasting impression. It was celebrated longer. The the December 6th celebrations faded away. New Year's watch night services became a little bit more religious. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's kind of got morphed into uh, Negro History Week and then Black History Month. And and, and so Juneteenth sort of hung on and hung in there, if you will. Uh, And and, and it was a a tradition that black Texans uh, took with them as they moved into sort of a Texas diaspora and still, you know, becomes a state holiday first. I mean, so there's... It's sort of the you know the sort of the the logic of its evolution uh, causes it to rise above the others as the emancipation moment that we recognize. Mm. But it should just be a point of entry in which we begin to have these broader conversations about okay, how did slavery end? Why did it take so long? And what role did African Americans have in their own liberation? And so, uh, when we think about this new federal holiday and of course you know i mean there are people who've done ridiculous or silly things uh, around it uh yeah. the juneteenth ice cream is the one that stands out to me um just because that's kind of funny um but but is this the right way to to get people to focus on these things even if it is like you say just an entry point to, to a much broader conversation is a federal holiday why, I guess, why is a federal holiday yeah. important? I think it is important. I think it's a, a, a modest step in the right direction, but it is a meaningful step. Uh, it is clear, as you, I think two things are clear. One, uh, you know, having Juneteenth as a federal holiday is not going to lift anybody out of poverty, right? There, there, there was no reparations checks attached to uh, <laughs> making this a federal holiday. But if we if we take the holiday, if we take this national recognition, uh, a call for the nation to pause and say, okay, let's reflect on this emancipation moment. Let's reflect on what it meant, not just to end the institution of slavery, but let's reflect on the 250 years leading up to it, and let's reflect on what happened after emancipation. Uh, how did African Americans define freedom? What were the obstacles that they faced? Uh, then while it may not lift anybody out of poverty, if, if we take it seriously, then it could sure help explain why poverty persists in the racialized ways that it does if we take the time to sort of use this as a point of entry into a broader conversation. And so, you know, I, I, it, it is important. There is no other moment uh, in, in, on our calendar that we as a nation stop and say, hey, let us actually recognize that slavery was a problem and that at this moment in 1865, whatever day on the calendar you want to mark it, but at a certain point, we ended two and a half centuries of the most extreme forms of human oppression that served as foundational to what this nation was. At that moment, we do become a different nation one that says the institution of slavery is no longer permissible. This barbaric treatment of African Americans is no longer permissible. That sets us on a new trajectory. Democracy isn't fully realized, but we inch ever closer to it and could never fully have it as long as the institution wasn't, of slavery was in place. So it is meaningful in the sense that if, if we give it the right meaning and do the right thing, look, we, you know, if we're just buying mattresses, Juneteenth mattresses in five years, like, oh, but that's what capitalism is, right? I mean, there are going to be Juneteenth mattress sales, right? Yes, there will. But so it, it's going to happen. But that's okay. That's just the way, you know, sort of America works. It depends. It, it really is up to us, I think, uh, to make sure the holiday has the meaning that the original enslaved folk um, attached to it with that day off, that day of remembrance, that day of saying we will never forget 
but then also a day of celebrating those who led the nation into freedom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Yolanda, uh, always love hearing from you on the program, and thanks very much for calling today. Let's go next to Ed in Detroit. Ed, what's on your mind? Uh, excellent, excellent uh, guest. Your guest and, and Yolanda have both covered most of the ground that I wanted to cover. Mm. So what the point I want to make is, and it follows up on your guest, uh, one of the points he made, in countries that were part of the British Empire at the time, Parliament ended slavery in that empire, many of those countries till today celebrate the anniversary of the date the law took effect as Emancipation Day. When I was a child, probably the biggest uh, late summer event in the Detroit-Windsor area was the celebration of Emancipation Day in Windsor. And uh, blacks from Windsor, Toronto, Detroit, Chicago, all over the Great Lakes region would travel to Windsor to uh, participate in the in the celebration of the end of slavery in the British Empire. Huh. Boy, I, I, I that that is absolutely new information uh, for me, Ed, and and I imagine that you may be a few years older than I am, so that may be something that didn't happen. Uh, by the time I was born, but uh, I'm really glad you called and and shared that memory, uh, Professor Jeffries. That 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 goes to your point of the way in which African Americans in different places have uh, acknowledged and celebrated emancipation in different ways. And as Ed points out, it's not just uh, it's not just American. Uh, it's Africans who were enslaved in many different parts of the world. No, absolutely. I mean, it's a great point. I mean, in Washington, D.C., they celebrate Emancipation Day in April. But in New York, where you have a large uh, Caribbean diaspora, you would often find various um, uh, uh, members of, you know, of, of Jamaica or, or, or former colonial possessions would still celebrate their Emancipation Days as they would on the island. Uh, when that when the, the calendar turned in that direction. So it, I think it really does speak to this idea, and, and, and the U.S. is finally catching up, formally and officially, that marking emancipation is really important. Um, and, and we've seen it um, done variously, often by, often by the state itself, uh, dependent upon the colony, the, the former colonial possessions. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, I think this is actually a little bit interesting in terms of why do we do Juneteenth as opposed to sort of you know, December with the 13th Amendment, uh, because Juneteenth, Juneteenth is actually generated from the people, right? It grows out of the soil, right? It, it, it's truly black folks celebrating their emancipation on their terms. I also think that's why there's been such reson- a resonance um, for the Juneteenth as opposed to any of the other days. Yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this really wonderful conversation uh, about Juneteenth and the first official federal holiday celebrating Juneteenth. We'll continue to hear from you on social media and on the phones as well. Uh, Janice in Detroit, uh, Janet in Detroit, we will get to you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about... Juneteenth here on the day that we have the first official federal recognition 
uh, of the holiday we're talking about, uh, what it means and uh, what we might draw from the recognition of uh, this moment in 1865 on June 19th when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas uh, and said that uh, folks there needed to respect the Emancipation Proclamation that had been in effect already for almost two years. Uh, We want to hear from you uh, as well about how you're spending this federal holiday and celebration of Juneteenth. What are you doing that uh, might recognize uh, that holiday? Also, how do you think this connects to the larger narratives and discussions that we're having right now about inequality in uh, America. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter, put comments there, and we can include you in the conversation uh, that way. Before we get back to our listeners, Professor Jeffries, I want to talk a little about how Juneteenth and the recognition of it connects to a particular conversation that I think has picked up real momentum in, in recent years, and that's the discussion of what America might owe us as African-Americans, this idea of reparations, which used to get chuckles, I think, from a, a lot of people or just outright dismissal. And now I think um, there's at least uh, a recognition that we ought to be talking about it. And there are some places where we're seeing we're seeing movement on it, but but there, I, I think there's a particular connection between something like Juneteenth and that discussion, and it's that um, I mean, it, for me, the, the the idea of Juneteenth is just a reminder that uh, you you can't take freedom for granted, no matter what the circumstances. That it is not an inevitability, and it's not a self-executing idea that it is something that requires vigilance and accountability. And that kind of thought, I think, also powers the idea of, of reparations. No, I agree. And I think that is uh, especially relevant now. I mean, we can substitute the terms. Uh, certainly freedom is sort of a universal human freedom. But in the sort of the, 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 the civic realm, the idea of democracy, mm-hmm. democracy isn't just self-replicating, isn't self-propelling. Um, you have to work to secure democracy, to maintain democracy, to expand democracy uh, in the same way you have to do with freedom. Uh, and if you do not work to do it, then uh, the very opposite will occur. You know, Dr. King, one of his was fond of saying the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And we get very happy with that and sort of leave it there. Uh, but we don't continue on with what he wrote about in a uh, letter from Birmingham jail, uh, in which he says, you know, in effect, that it will bend towards uh, the arc of more universe will only bend towards justice if we exert the force necessary to bend it in that direction. Uh, left to its own devices, it will bend towards the status quo. If the status quo is injustice, then it will bend in that direction. If it's unfreedom, if it's not freedom, then it will bend in that direction. And so I think this Juneteenth, uh, this pause, this recognition um, is important because it draws our attention to this moment in the American past uh, where, where freedom was not free, freedom was not guaranteed, uh, freedom had to be fought for and in order to secure it and to expand it and to make sure that all American, all people born in the soil, all people living here, all people brought here could enjoy those basic rights. I just hope that as part of, and this I think ties into the reparations question, that once we, you know, draw our attention to what slavery actually was and, and what, what occurred after emancipation and, you know, the, the shortcomings of, of, of Reconstruction, and not just its failure, but its intentional undermining by white Southerners and the neglect by white Northerners, then we'll, we will start to, maybe we will have seriously better understand why uh, reparations are, are necessary. Right. And, and in part because they never occurred. Mm-hmm. And we're still living with that, the long legacy, the effects of that two and a half centuries of, of, of bondage and another century of legalized segregation and discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Janet uh, in Detroit. This is, of course, Janet, the owner of 
source booksellers, a really vital institution here in uh, in Midtown Detroit. Janet, welcome to the program. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate being on, and I absolutely appreciate the shows that you have for our community. I just wanted to reiterate the fact that we had Emancipation Day celebrations in Canada when I was young. Hmm. We went to a few, and that was the... Um, uh, in Canada was celebrating the end of, of uh, slavery in the British Empire. At the source booksellers, we have really tried to uh, put a point on knowing and understanding. So I think, if anything, this is a time when uh, every year, if not all the year long, to really dig into the history and understand, uh, dig into the history and, and know so we can, as uh, your guest has said, Professor Jeffers has said, to go forward and to become knowledgeable as citizens of the United States of America, all, all people, but in particular African-American people, so we'll really know how this bumpy road to this time period has happened. Yeah. So I'm really glad to um, uh, say that I think this uh, time period is really causing people to think differently and think more deeply. Mm. So I want to offer the idea of having a day of education. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, we have a day of service for something else and a day of this for something else. So let's make this one the day of education on all levels mm. uh, so that um, the public can know. Uh, I want to bring up Jamon Jordan, who is our public historian sure. and a Detroit historian. So we had a video of him done that we were showing at the store. Uh, he graciously came to do that to talk about the the wide scope of the um, march toward freedom, as you would say, from slavery to freedom um, during that time period and how it has affected us here in Detroit um, over the time. So I just want to put that little pen in and sure. thank you again. Yeah for uh, the program. No, no, it's always great uh, to talk with you, Janet, and of course you're doing really wonderful work uh, over there at Source Book Sellers. Before we get back to Professor Jeffries, I want to have one more caller in here who's got a really specific question, uh, Janice in Detroit. Janice, go ahead. Good morning. Mm -hmm. I love our conversation. It is really so inspiring. I just, as a black storyteller, I would appreciate so much if Professor Jeffries would give us some titles, um, piggybacking on uh, our sort, Janet before me, not just of education, but can you give us some titles that we can refer to so that we can continue to grow after this conversation is over with? Yeah, it's a great question, Janice. I'm, I'm glad uh, you called with it. Uh, Professor Jeffries, go ahead. What's, what what does syllabus look like? <laughs> uh, you know, one of the uh, my syllabi have changed over the years, and and one of the uh, ways in which I like to um, work with my students is to kind of meet them where they are. And this is a a media generation, and so if I may uh, offer a couple of um, uh, videos that hmm. I think yeah. uh, documentary films that I think will be really helpful. Um, there's a new one uh, released on PBS this last year on Reconstruction, uh, which delves into sort of the emancipation moment and moves it forward. This was a, a Henry Louis Gates production. It was very, very well done. Uh, there is a, a, another one uh, that's on Netflix uh, that, um, that ties into the question of mass incarceration, but it, it deals with uh, this question of the 13th Amendment, and that is the, that is 13th of the 13th mm -hmm. uh, by Ava DuVernay yes. that uh, is really powerful. I'm sure you and many of your uh, listeners uh, are aware of. But then there's also another um, a documentary that I would recommend, um, uh, Slavery by Another Name, uh, because this is not only about sort of the institution of slavery, but then also that transition into freedom and what comes after. Uh, and this explores convict leasing uh, and the evolution and the rise of that uh, as we see white Southerners determined uh, to recreate the basic labor relations that they lost with the institution of slavery. So while slavery ends, that enslaver's mentality does not, uh, and that informs what uh, black folk, shapes the contours of, of life for African Americans uh, for many decades after the institution of slavery is over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Janice, again, Really great, uh, really great question. I'm, I'm glad you called with it. Uh, let's go next to Lenny in Detroit. Lenny, welcome to Hello, the show. Hello, yes, this Hi. is Lenny. Uh -huh. Go ahead. Uh, I just want to insert there's another reason to celebrate June 19th um, in recent history, because June 19th, two, uh, 1972 is when the United States Supreme Court ruled 8 to 0 
against Nixon's power grab mm -hmm. and um, in favor of the White Panther Party suit against warrantless wiretaps. And the ruling by the Supreme Court uh, in 72 is is important in, in view of the new Supreme Court and would they have the guts to stand up against Trump's power grab? Mm. So it's all very topical, but that's why I celebrate yeah. June 19th, <laughs> the end of slavery and the end of the dictatorship, or the end of potential dictatorship we were facing then, you know? It's a big holiday. That's a, I did not realize that that was also on... June nineteenth, uh, Lenny. Until you you pointed that out, but that is a very important uh, that is a very important ruling, and and it it uh, declared unconstitutional the the wiretapping that the Nixon administration was doing on black radicals uh, in, in in particular uh, in that in that era. So so thanks very much for that uh, that reference, uh, Professor Hassan Kwame Jeffries. Always great to talk with you here on uh, Detroit Today. Thanks so much. For joining us uh, to talk about Juneteenth. Thank you so much for having me. Keep yeah. up the wonderful work and, and happy Juneteenth. Yes, happy Juneteenth to you as well. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with a Detroit Free Press writer about who owns Detroit's newest restaurants and how they can be more inclusive. Uh, then we're going to talk with a journalist about the meaning of gentrification and how that is playing out in cities like Detroit. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey, Nick Austin. Uh, our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Terethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.